Good morning, Harvest Muskoka, Harvest Perry Sound. Why don't you go ahead and uh, grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Habakkuk. We're gonna be in Habakkuk chapter two. You're like, Habakkuk, where is that? Table of contents is a beautiful thing, all right? So if you need to use that, grab that. If you don't have a Bible on you this morning, we have people who would love to get a Bible into your hands. If you forgot your Bible, didn't bring a Bible, throw your hand up. If you don't own a Bible, for sure, throw your hand up and grab one of these. Take it home as our gift to you. Open up to Habakkuk chapter two. As you're turning there, you know, as, as Christians, we can use a lot of phrases and sayings that, that we kind of just throw out there, but we don't always think about the deeper meaning or what are we actually really saying when we say that. And we can say things like, well, when God closes a door, he opens a window. Like, what, what, like, what are we really saying? So, so you tell me that, that when God closed the door, he's gonna leave a window open. That I, when he says no, and I, I mean, it's still B and E, right? You're still coming into the house through a, a way you probably shouldn't. So I, I, what are we saying when we say that? Or, or I heard somebody else talk about this where we talk about, hey, I'm gonna pray a, a, I'm gonna pray a, a hedge of protection around you. Like, that's it? That's your level of prayer over just a hat, like a shrubbery? Like, pray something bigger than that if you want my protection. And and we say these things, and here's another thing that we say a lot, and it's so biblical to say this, but maybe we're not thinking what we're actually saying. When we tell people, we tell ourselves, we say, hey, wait on the Lord. Just, just wait on the Lord, and, it, and it's biblical, but, but uh, what are we saying when we say that? I mean, waiting at the best of times is difficult. You think about it, man, I stand in front of the microwave and I can't believe it takes a whole 90 seconds for my pizza pop to be ready, right? Like, seriously, 90 seconds? Let's go. It's too long, right? We don't want to wait. I, I mean, I think of my great-grandparents. They had to wait for like wheat to grow and, and do stuff with it, to bake stuff. Right? And, and if you're thinking, well, I'm more patient than you, Pastor Kai. Well, think about when you're in your car and you're right behind the guy in front who doesn't go when the light turns green, right? How, how long do you give that person? How many seconds before you say something in your car, right? Let's go, come on, right? How, how, much, how many seconds before you give the polite doot-doot, doot-doot, green light, doot-doot, right? How long before it's more of an angry toot and a gesture or whatever, right? Like what happens when, right, we don't like to wait, but then waiting gets even worse. And not, not just impatience, but deep soul and heart pain when there's suffering and, and unanswered questions. And we're called by Scripture in those moments to wait on the Lord. It's not an easy call. How do we do that well? That's why I love it with this little book of Habakkuk, why it's such a great book. And, and just to review what's going on, if you're just catching up, and we're in the second sermon in this series that Habakkuk has just, he'd called out to God. He's in this dark place, this dark valley. Everything's going wrong and, and he calls out and God answers. But look what else God says in verse three of chapter two. He says, for still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It won't delay. I mean, if, if you're in a place right now where, where God doesn't make sense, where it seems like he's so slow to act, I hope this morning as we jump into this, we continue in this book of Habakkuk as we kind of unpack this a little more, we, we can see that not only is there a deep meaning to this idea of waiting on the Lord, but maybe we can see a, a bit more of what does that look like? Why would we do this? How do we wait on the Lord in times of difficulty? So we're taking notes. Here's our first point this morning. What does it mean to wait? To wait is this, I choose to wait and not give up. I choose to wait and not give up. 
So, so God tells Habakkuk, God says, hey, the answer's coming. And, and when it seems like it's taking too long, God says, keep waiting. Don't, don't give up. I mean, the word wait, it, it really just means be patient. It means don't give up, don't despair. If you think about it, if someone were to say to you, hey, hey, after this service, just wait for me in the lobby. I gotta go run some errands, but then I'm gonna come back. And if they start to take too long and you say, forget this, I'm just going home, you're no longer waiting, right? You've given up, you've stopped waiting. You're not doing it any longer. You made a choice to say, I'm not waiting any longer. I'm giving up on this and I'm leaving. So when God says, wait, it means even when things don't make sense, even when you're confused, even when it seems difficult, you choose to wait. It's, it's this choice we make the, where we wait and trust in God's plan. We, we don't give up and, and go towards bitterness. We don't give up and run to despair. We, we wait. And what are we saying? We're saying, God, I'm putting my trust, I'm putting my hope fully in your promises. And listen, listen, this takes humility to do that. Because God's plans, they don't always make sense to us. I mean, if you're tracking through Habakkuk, think about what Habakkuk has asked of God. He prays and says, God, things aren't good. So what's your plan to fix it? How are you gonna take care of this? Or when are you gonna do something? And, and God responds to Habakkuk and he says, okay, Habakkuk, here's what's gonna happen. There's these people, they're the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, and they're ruthless, they're vile, they're nasty, they're, they're, they're mean, they're strong warriors. And they've been waiting to crush you guys for a long time, so I'm going to let them. That's my plan. And Habakkuk's like, yeah, I don't like that plan. That's not the plan I want. That's not the plan I was hoping for. And, and sometimes we're calling out to God, and, and God says, hey, right here in the moment, my answer to you is wait. And at that moment, we have a choice to make. Do I trust in God? Do I humble myself to say, God, you know more than I know. Your plans are far greater than my plans. You, you, even though I, I think I'm pretty smart and, I, and I, I think I could do things well and I think I know how things can turn out, Lord, I'm trusting you that I don't know. And at that moment, we, we lay down this, this really huge burden of this assumed omniscience. Like we know everything. And I'm telling you, when you lay it down, you're laying down a burden where you say, I'm not holding on to that anymore because I don't know what's coming. I don't know how it's gonna turn out. And it's actually freeing to say, Lord, I don't know, but you do. So I'm gonna humble myself and I'm gonna wait. And here's the amazing part. In the midst of this waiting, God's doing a work. Remember last week how we said that, that sometimes our Christian journey can feel like we're, we're on this, this peak, this, this spiritual high where, man, God's answering all my prayers. Everything's going so great. It's like everything's working out and then something happens where, where if something doesn't work out well or sickness comes or, or questions come or financial trouble comes and we enter into this dark valley, this pit of our Christian life and it's like, what's going on here? What do we say? We said, when we wait in that, when we rest in that, when we trust God in that, he's doing a work in us. Even in the waiting, he's doing a work to bring us. Our circumstances may not change, but our heart, our character, our walk with him begins to grow higher than we thought we were higher before through this dark valley. God's at work in the very act of waiting. 
So when you, when you meet God in that, that uncertainty, in those unanswered questions, you meet him with a confidence and you still choose to cling tightly to him in the midst of this. He's producing something in us that he could only do through faith and waiting. And you meet these trials that way and, and God's producing something great in us. Romans 5, 3 to 5 says that that patience is producing character. That character grows into hope. That hope won't disappoint us because it's igniting in us. It's lighting up our heart with the hope of God's love in us. So when we choose to wait and not give up, God's at work in that. When we give up and say, I'm not waiting any longer, there's work that's not being done. In fact, a lot of times, things turn out worse. I, mean, I think of my middle daughter. She is not a huge fan of anything that's gonna cause any pain. And so the worst thing that happens with her is if she ever gets a sliver outside, it's the anticipation of dad has to get tweezers and a needle and dig in, right? And so I, mean, I remember there's one time on the porch where she was screaming so loud, I thought police were gonna come. Like, you're killing a, a cat in this home. What's going on here, right? But no, so what do I say? What, what do you say to a kid? You say, hey, don't move. Just don't, you gotta be so still because if you flail around, if you thrash around, then what I'm trying to do, it's actually gonna cause more damage than the sliver's causing. So you have to be still. When tough times come, when difficulties come, we, we can either thrash around, we can become more bitter, we can become a person in despair, we can, we can run and try to take care of everything on our own, or, or we can grow into somebody with more peace, more character, greater endurance, deeper faith, a greater prayer life. I mean, have you met people like that before? You, you just meet people and you just know, wow, they have been through the fire with the Lord. They have waited patiently and, and walked through that fire with God and they've grown more sweeter, more faithful. And you see the results of them waiting on the Lord. And, and you see also the results of those who flail, who give up. And, and you see the bitterness, you see the despair. So when, when trouble comes your way, do you say, I'm gonna lean in and I'm gonna see God even take this time of waiting to grow my heart? Or do you thrash about? I mean, Job said, remember Job? I mean, Habakkuk's just almost like a mini Job, right? It's a smaller book. You read the bigger book of Job, you see the trials he went through. Job says in Job 23.10, God knows what he's doing with me. You see the humility there? He's saying, I don't know. I have no idea because this doesn't seem like it's a good thing. It seems crazy. It's so hard. This isn't comfortable. But he says, God knows what he's doing with me. And when he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. Job's in that valley, in that dip, in that darkness. But he says, I know what God's doing in this. I don't know what his plans are, but I do know he's refining me to be like gold. He says, I'm not giving up. I'm gonna wait, I'm gonna see God grow me into something greater than I ever could have been otherwise. I'm not gonna give up, I'm not gonna give in, I'm not gonna grow bitter, I'm not gonna run away. I'm not gonna take it in my own hands. I'm gonna stay under this trial and see what God's producing in me and through me. So, so waiting then, waiting is this deliberate, this humble choice. And really it's a choice for our own spiritual good to see God grow something in us. So look at verse one of chapter two. So what's Habakkuk do? He says, I will take my stand at my watch post 
and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. We're taking notes. Secondly, what what do we see here? Not only do do we choose not to give up, but we also choose to wait obediently. We choose to wait obediently. Habakkuk's going up onto this tower. Why? Because he has a job to do. He's a watchman. He's the person on the tower watching to make sure the city's safe. And he goes, I'm going to go up. I've got a a duty I have to do. And when when you're doing that, if you're in the watchtower, you can't say on your night shift, I'm bored. Kind of hungry. I haven't seen enemies in days. I'm calling a night. Going home. See up, right? You can't do that, right? No, you got to stay on your shift. You, you got to be on duty. So Habakkuk, what he's saying here is, I don't understand what God's doing here, but even in the struggle, I'm sticking with him and I'm not leaving what he's called me to do. I mean, even this morning, you, you may be experiencing disappointment after disappointment after disappointment. You may be getting no prayers answered. You keep calling out and it feels like God's not providing you the answer. Listen, listen, we can't leave our post. We continue to follow. We continue to obey because here's the thing. We are 100% responsible for how we respond in the trials. Even if someone does something to me and they hurt me. Listen, I can't control the suffering they may put me in all the time, but I can control whether or not I choose to obey God in the midst of it, how I respond. And isn't it so interesting that it's usually in those times of struggle that we pull away from God's call. So often in times of struggle, a lot of people begin to pull away from worship. They start to not be able to pray. They, they no longer dig into the word. They, they begin to miss small group and avoid Christian friends. They begin to pull out of relationships and, and move away. And, and, and what do we do? We, we turn inward and, or, or we look to other things for our hope. No, it's not just that I'm not pursuing God and obeying, but I'm gonna actually pursue ways that are against what God's called me to. And I, I run to what the Bible calls Idols. Look at verse 18 and 19 of chapter two. If you just flip over a page, God says this. He says, what prophet is an idol when its maker has shaped it? A metal image, a teacher of lies for its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake, to a silent stone, arise. Can this teach? Behold, it's overlaid with gold and silver and there's no breath at all in it, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Really God's summing up what he's, he said through this whole chapter two. If you read verses five right to verse 17, God's calling out these woes and he's saying, woe to you who? And he talks about to those who put their trust in these things, putting your hope in wealth, putting your trust in gain by your own hand, putting your hope in, in substances, putting your hope in, in gaining stuff and doing whatever you can, lying, cheating to get it because that's where your hope is. Because listen, when we pursue that, it's a never-ending hunt. I mean, think about it. Think about it. People say, man, if I only had this much education, then I would be satisfied. You get to the end of it and you're like, no. And there must be more. If, if I only made this much money, man, if I could get to this level of income, then uh, things would change and they don't. And if, if only this relationship worked out, if I had this relationship, then, then I would be okay. I, then I would be satisfied, but... 
We find what we want and we're still unhappy. And so what do we do? We look for the new and improved. And I mean, we may think, you know, I read about these idols of wood and gold and stuff. I get other cultures probably have things they, they worship that way. But we, I mean, this is Canada, man. We don't have those kinds of things. We don't worship a statue. And then we, we pick up this thing, this man-made thing of steel and glass and plastic. Right? And we, we give it our attention hours a day. We tithe to it once a month, right? Sometimes we give more if we want more data, right? We'll tithe a little more. What do we do? We're praying to it. I mean, just look at a restaurant. Have you ever looked around a restaurant to see how many people are worshiping at the phone, right? Give me what I want. Entertain me. Distract me. Give me something new. Give me some connection. Give me, and, and you're just praying. Listen, listen. You may be thinking, yeah, I don't struggle with my phone, man. That's not my deal. My question is this. Where does your heart go for hope? What's the idol you're clinging to? Maybe it's control. Maybe it's power. Maybe it's stuff. Maybe it's people. Maybe it's substances. And God says, no, 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 that's not where your hope is. Climb up into the tower and wait. Seek me, trust me, and serve me in the waiting. We wait obediently. I mean, even think about that word wait. When we think of the word wait, it's not just sitting doing nothing. Think of how else we use that word. We, we call people a lady in waiting. Right? I'm a manly man, so I've never watched Downton Abbey, but some people know what that means, right? I'm kidding. Right? A lady in waiting is somebody who serves. Think, think about it in a restaurant. We call them waiters. Now, what's a waiter do? They don't just sit there and do nothing. Right? Imagine at your table and you're like, hello, we're hungry. I know, I'm a waiter. I'm just waiting. No, you're, you're supposed to serve me. You're supposed to bring me my food. So listen, when we wait, what do we do? We're serving. What is it? A waiter is attentive. A, a, a lady in waiting or a, a man in waiting, a servant is attentive, saying, what's the master going to call me to do? It's not just doing nothing. You're looking, saying, Lord, what do you have for me? God, I'm waiting for your answer, but in the meantime, I want to serve you. I want to be waiting on you so you continue to serve. And as you do that, verse 3 says, wait for it. The answer will surely come. It won't delay. Verse two says, it has an appointed time. That promise has an appointed time. I mean, think about that, that, that God's promises are appointed. That his plans for you are appointed. You, you think about a, a woman who's nine months pregnant. Like there's an appointed time. When that baby's coming, it's coming, right? It's not stopping it. Like, like it's happening. I remember our first child was born too early. So I mean, the appointed time was earlier than we thought. We get to the hospital. And the nurse calls in the doctor and says, hey, this baby's coming. It's happening right now. The doctor comes like, no, it's not. It's way more time. So he leaves and later she calls again and says, you got to get into the room here. The baby's coming. I don't know whether he was like kind of doing the boy who cries wolf thing, but he didn't believe her because he wouldn't. And this baby was coming. And I'm thinking, man, I was not good in little league infield. Do I drop to one knee? Do I have to block it? Like, how do I catch this, right? I wasn't sure what I was going to have to do, but thankfully the doctor shows up and the baby was coming. There was an appointed time. Listen, God's promises in your life even in the midst of the struggle, it's in God's time. Wait for it. Obediently serve and wait. 
I mean, Habakkuk waited for a long time. In fact, we know from history that, that the promise that God said was coming didn't even happen for a, another generation after Habakkuk's generation. Even if you don't see the promises being fulfilled, they will be fulfilled because God's word is absolutely true. And so for some of you right now, you're in the waiting zone. You're waiting in this, this time of questions. You're in that dip of your life and that valley and you believe God's promised you something, but you don't see it yet. I mean, God's saying this to you. If it seems slow, don't despair. It'll surely come. Be patient. My promises won't be delayed a single day. I've heard it said this way, that, that God doesn't drive an ambulance. He doesn't show up because, oh no, something happened. No, no, God is in control. God is doing a work. And so our hope is in this. That In fact, our hope is so much in this that even in that time of waiting, there can be joy. We can have joy knowing, Jesus, you promise that this will be fulfilled. Jesus, you, you promise that you're at work. I, I love the promise that Jesus gives us in, in Luke. Luke 12, 37, it says this. For those who, who wait obediently, he says the servants who are ready and waiting for his return, talking about, about the return of the king, will be rewarded. He says, I tell you the truth, he himself will seat them, put on an apron, and serve them as they sit and eat. Think about that, what that'll be like. And how do we know that's true? How do we know that, that Jesus, the king of the universe, would ever serve those who obey, those who wait? We can trust this because he did the very thing on the night he was betrayed. He put on an apron, he, he bent down, and he washed the feet of his disciples and they were saying, what are you doing? You shouldn't do this. This is what the lowest of servants do. Why are you doing this? And Jesus was saying, listen guys, I'm about to serve you. I'm about to wait on you at the cross. That Jesus, the Lord of the universe, was about to lay down his glory, his joy. He came to be man, God, the man. He's going to the cross and he's, 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 he even waited and, and walked through the garden of Gethsemane. Not giving up then. Going to the cross under the wrath of God. Not giving up then. Saying, I want to serve by taking the sin of those who believe in me on myself. And so what do we do? We wait, we serve, we anticipate these promises because we know they're true. In fact, our last point this morning is this. Not only do I choose to not give up, I choose to obey, I choose to wait expectantly. There's an expectation, there's a, a joy, there's a faith here. Habakkuk's up in this tower. Now, now, why would you ever go up into a tower? Well, if you're a watchman in a tower, you're going up there to get a, a better perspective, to see off into the horizon. And why are you doing that? You're doing that because you want to see further because maybe if you're just on the ground level that enemies can come to the gate and you're thinking, oh no, the city's done for. There's an enemy at the gate, but the, the person in the tower waiting, looking out says, no, no. Our army's returning and at 10 times the size of this army. So you have hope. Perspective changes everything. So Habakkuk says, God, I trust you. You know the answers, so I'm gonna wait. And I'm gonna look and wait and see what you're gonna accomplish in this situation. I mean, this is, this is huge faith here where he's saying, God, 
I'm confused, but you tell me how things are gonna happen. So I'm gonna put my faith in that because I love you, God, and I trust you, God. I mean, really what Habakkuk is doing, look at verse four. God says, behold, his soul is puffed up. It's not upright within him. Talking about somebody who isn't waiting, but the righteous, it says, the righteous shall live by faith. Sort of wait expectantly. It, it means you're living by faith. Saying, God, you have a plan and I'm gonna actively seek it. I'm gonna look out for it. I'm gonna wait expectantly. It's, it's the same thing the apostle Paul says in Romans 8 when he says, when I consider my temporary suffering, when I consider it, when I think about it, when I actually look deeply into it and I compare it, to the eternal weight of glory, to what God's producing in me and what he's got for me. He says, I, you can't compare the two. And, and think about Paul. Think about what he, when he says this temporal suffering, this momentary suffering. I mean, the apostle Paul suffered. He had what he called a thorn in the flesh. Uh, nobody knows what it was, but it was horrible enough that he called out to God over and over again to take it away from him. History tells us that he couldn't see very well. He, he was beaten with rods. He was stoned to the point where they thought he was dead. They'd thrown so many rocks at him. He was whipped. He was shipwrecked numerous times. I mean, the one that blows my mind, he's shipwrecked, gets to shore, tries to build a fire to warm himself, and a snake comes out and bites his hand. I don't know about you, but I'm thinking, really? Even snakes? He didn't give up. Because he said, look at this, all of this, when I look into it, when I consider it, it doesn't compare to what God's doing. He, he climbs up onto the tower. He climbs up with Habakkuk and he gets a better perspective. And he waits expectantly. He trusts God's eternal promises. So when sickness comes, we can say, you know what? The only real sickness that can take me out was healed on the cross of Christ, the sin sickness that I have. When, when financial struggles come in, you know what? The only debt that could take me out was the debt of my sin and that was paid in full on the cross. A, a broken relationship and you're, you're trying hard to restore it, but even if that person continues to betray you and abandon you, you can say, I know that Jesus was betrayed and abandoned so I never have to be abandoned by him. I mean, what Paul was doing as he's writing to the Romans, what Habakkuk's doing here, they're actively waiting, looking, praying, seeking. They have this expectation of faith. Now, when I say faith, what do I mean when I say faith? Faith is just this. It's, it's no matter what's going on around me, I'm placing my, the whole weight of my life, hope, and future on Christ. It just means you put your full weight on it. It's kind of faith. It's like when you walked in here this morning, you basically put your faith in the chair you sat down on. You put your whole weight on that. that that's faith. It's, it's looking at what God's saying, what his promise is saying, Lord, I don't understand what's happening, but I'm resting my whole life on you and on your promises. I mean, this kind of faith, it's a gift from the Lord. But scripture also says that this kind of faith comes from hearing from hearing the word of God, from, from hearing this good news of Jesus. And so look at verse two of chapter two. It says, the Lord answered me, Habakkuk saying, God answered me, this is what God said. Write the vision, make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. 
God's saying to Habakkuk, hey, write this down. Write this down so people can see what I'm saying. Write this down. Write this down so people can see the good news and they can take action because of what they've heard. I mean, this is the power of God's word. This is the, the power that, that God would speak to prophets who would write it down, that, that God ultimately shows up as Jesus that he comes right into human history and he says, I'm here, I'm God, here's who you are, here's who I am, here's what's going to happen, here's why you can trust me. And so we, we hear God's word and it, it breaks through the fog. We, we hear God's word and it breaks through our, our silliness. We hear God's word and it lets us know what he wants, who he is, what his promises are. And so this kind of expectant faith in the midst of trials comes through hearing. So my question is this, are you climbing up that tower? I mean, are you putting yourself in a place where you're immersed by the truths of God's word, by his promises? Are you studying the Bible? Are, are, you, are you placing yourself in, in situations where, where if only God showing up is gonna make a difference and you, you step out in faith and you say, Lord, I'm trusting your promises in this and build your faith more and more. Are you in a biblical community where people are speaking God's promises to you, reminding you of God's grace? And so we immerse ourselves in this over and over again as, as we have people remind us more and more of God's truth. The, the faith that grows in us becomes as natural as sitting in a chair on Sunday morning. Because I'm going to guarantee it, none of you came in here this morning and did this. Well, let me test it first. Honey, why don't you sit at first, see if it falls over, right? No, no one's doing that, right? No, you just, you sit down. Why? Because you've, you've sat in that chair over and over and over again. And that's what I'm saying. Listen, immerse yourself in the promises of God. Step out in faith and see what God does. Why? So that you can grow in this, that his promises are true. And listen, listen, we are so prone to wander. We are so prone to drift from this. To, to give up, to lose hope. So we need to constantly be digging in. We need to be constantly having others pour over us the truth of God's promises so that in our day of trouble, we have this anchor for our souls. That anchor of faith. And it's, it's not the size of your faith. I mean, it's just a mustard seed's all we need. The anchor is what we have faith in, who we have faith in that the promises of God are true, that the good news of the gospel is true. So we have that assurance of hope that no matter how this turns out, no matter how long I'm in this valley, no matter these circumstances, I know that God is at work for my good and his glory. And it doesn't mean that it, it won't hurt now. It doesn't mean that you can't cry out in pain now. It doesn't mean that you won't weep now, but it simply means that even in the midst of that sorrow, your hope isn't in the now. It's in the assurance of what's coming. And if you wait on God patiently, obediently, joyfully, with anticipation, you're gonna find that it's in that place where you find the place of perfect freedom. Now, we can talk about this a lot. I can preach about it, but I wanted to add, add some color to this so you can actually see, hey, what's this look like lived out? How do I live with this kind of hope? And so I've got somebody who's going to give her testimony. Jenna's coming up right now. And I want, to hear, want you to hear Jenna's story. You can see how this is lived out. 
Hi, Jenna. Hi. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> Why don't you uh, introduce yourself and, and let us know, really just a quick, what's the condition that you've been in? What's been going on in your life so we can get a bit of an idea? Hi, I'm Jenna. For those of you who don't know, married to Jesse, the one who shreds on guitar. <laughs> um, pregnancy is supposed to be a beautiful, enjoyable, magical time. Uh, for me, that is where I found my suffering. Uh, while pregnant, I suffer from hyperemesis gravidarum, nonstop vomiting until uh, your body starts to develop ketones, and you go into severe dehydration, and uh, basically the ketones eat away at your good tissue and your good muscle. Uh, in severe cases uh, like mine, there are risks of brain damage to the child or the risk of life for the mother or the child. But thanks to modern medicine, they were able to keep me hydrated and fed. I was not able to walk, talk, a lot of times open my eyes. Um, my mother helped bathe me, take care of me. She would cover my hands and feet with lotion as I lost layers of skin from being so dehydrated. I was on the most extreme amounts of uh, chemo drugs to keep the vomiting at bay. Uh, no food or water touched my lips for over six weeks other than through the IV. Needle after needle, nurse after nurse would attempt to find viable veins. They were unsuccessful after a while, and that led to a small surgery to insert a pick line. And that was my source of food, hydration, and my meds to keep me going. Unfortunately, once I was home, on home care, my pick line got infected, and I went into septic shock, uh, which is very dangerous, as some of you know, um, let alone if you're pregnant, even more dangerous. It was minute after minute, day after day, week after week, month after month, in dark despair, Without my family, first time around with my first pregnancy, my husband was at home. He was able to understand and, well, as much as he could, but this time around we had our daughter at home. She didn't understand where mom was or why I wasn't coming home or when I would be home. So finally I am back at home, uh, off of home care, but still on a lot of medication, and I will remain on them until the baby's born. Hmm. Why don't you tell us, where did your heart go in this? Where did the, the despair, the suffering take you? To be completely honest, I want to share where my mental state and my heart was, but I know it'll be difficult for some of you to hear, especially those of you who are yearning for a family of your own. I began to pray and pray after we had our first child, knowing I wanted another, but knowing I didn't want to do this again. And I was full of abundant faith that the Lord would spare me from this suffering again, that he knew how badly I wanted to be home with my family. He wouldn't take me from them. It's going to be fine. So I convinced my husband we're doing this. It's going to be fine. We d sure enough got pregnant. And a uh, few days in, I found out that the answer was no. The Lord wasn't going to spare me from this again. I would have to go through it again. And this time with a little one at home. Not knowing where I would be for month after month, I felt abandoned, betrayed, I felt angry. I quickly went into a deep depression. Uh, I didn't want to pray. I didn't want to open my Bible. I didn't think, I thought, what was the point? God didn't hear me the first time. Why is he going to hear me this time? I just craved the life I had before I was pregnant, each pregnancies. I just thought, why did I do this? I was worried for my husband's despair, watching his wife go through this again. Familiar feelings from the first pregnancy of it would be so much better if the Lord took me or if he took this pregnancy from me. I didn't want it anymore. 
It's painful for me to say that, and I know it's painful for you to hear and to think I ever got to that dark moments. When I look at my daughter, I think, how could I ever have thought that? And I know when I hold my son for the first time, I'll feel that pain again. But I know nine months of darkness will wash away with a lifetime of love. Where did you, uh, where'd you find your hope in the midst of this? Uh, to be honest, I didn't have hope. I allowed the evil one to steal my joy at the beginning of both my pregnancies. Hope came from all of you in different actions. Family and friends would come surround me and pray over me even when I didn't want it. My daughter was cared for by many people. People would take time off work or come and stay with us so that Jesse could work. I had friends print off verses and cover my walls in my hospital rooms to remind me even when I didn't want to see it, it was there, forcing me to remember. I had the church fill our freezer with meals so that my family was fed and Jesse didn't have to worry about how to work and put food on the table. Uh, hope came for me also from a dear friend's mom who came to visit me. She's terminally ill with cancer. and She sat there and held my hand and she told me, Jenna, we need to be thankful in the midst of our suffering. And I thought, here's this beautiful, faith-filled woman who was going through a painful time nearing the end of her life, and she's telling me that I need to be thankful. So that was talk about perspective. And lastly, hope came in the form of one of my roommates in the hospital. Uh, she's palliative, and she was there basically at the end of her life waiting to go. One of the nights was a sad and slow end to her life, and I was right beside her. So I began to read off verses, and I began to pray for her, just to fill her suffering with hope as much as I could, which was strange for me, how instinctive it was to pray over her and fill her time with hope while I couldn't muster up enough for myself. So even through my despair, and still as we battle through till the end, you have brought me the hope that I needed. You continue to remind me that Jesus has not forgotten or abandoned me. You remind me that when I pass through the waters, the Lord will be with me. When I pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over me. When I walk through the fire, they will, I will not be burned, and I will not be set ablaze. You believe for me. Thank you for carrying me to Jesus when I couldn't walk to him. Amen. Amen. As the, uh, as the worst team comes up, I'm going to have Jesse stop here on his way up to his shredding guitar time. And uh, I, I want to pray over these guys. And, and listen, this is, why, this is why I'm saying, this is why we want to press into this together as a church family. That we want to get to know these promises of God. We want, to, we want to continue to remind each other of the good news of the gospel. We want to continue to point each other there. Why? Because there comes a time when, when you may not be able to stand and you need those around you who can stand for you. We want to remind ourselves of these over and over again so that it becomes just natural for us to sit and rest our full trust in Christ. And when you do this, when we wait, when we wait patiently, when we wait and don't give up, when we wait with this anticipation of what God's doing, when we, when we wait with eagerness and faith and joy, we find, and even in that time of waiting, it's the perfect place of freedom. So why don't you stand with me as I, uh, as I pray for these guys and that you'd join with me in that before we, before we worship together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for 
the truth we just heard. Lord God, I thank you that in uh, Jenna and Jesse's life, God, that you have made yourself so real, so true. Lord God, I thank you for this church family that came along somebody who, who couldn't stand on her own and, and, and God, that they stood for her. They lifted her up. God, that in that time where she couldn't see the hope and the truth of the promises, Lord God, that there are others to point her to that truth. And God, that your promises, your word broke through the fog. Father, I pray for these two. Lord, I pray for, for continued faith. I pray, God, your presence to stay so close to them even as they finish through this pregnancy, Lord God. Thank you for your hope, your hope that's so much greater than just the now. Father, that each of us, even in times of uncertainty, Lord, we cling tightly to you, to the hope of the gospel, God, that you're at work, that you're working even now and what we have waiting for us. God, that we can look back and see, Jesus, that you fulfilled your promise on the cross and the resurrection. We can look forward to know that your promises are always true. So, God, I pray for those in this room struggling, God, that they, like Jenna and Jesse, could cling tightly to you, Lord God. You continue to show yourself in our church. Continue to show yourself in Jenna and Jesse's life. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.